Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. As the church calendar moves toward the celebration of Pentecost Sunday, which is May 28th this year, Christians are reminded of the promise given and the promise kept by Jesus. Jesus promised his disciples that with his death and physical departure from this world, he would not leave them as orphans, but would send another one just like him who would live with them and live in all believers. The ultimate fulfillment of this promise came on the wonderful day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem, empowering them to speak in the languages of the people who were visiting Jerusalem. The church was born that day by the power and presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Many Christians think incorrectly, I might add, that the Holy Spirit began his work and activity on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They forget that the Spirit was active throughout the whole Old Testament. You might remember that the Spirit of God was present and active even in creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, Now the, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the Spirit of God. The Hebrew word generally used in the Old Testament for spirit is the common word for wind, ruach. The, in reference to God, it describes the presence, his presence on earth, particularly his active presence, carrying out his will and advancing his purpose. Ruach conveys the idea of God in action, God at work, God present in power. Here are just a few examples of the Spirit of God at work in the Old Testament. Samson experienced the Spirit as an enabling power in the face of a particular crisis. Judges chapter 14 verse 19 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, he went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Joshua experienced the Spirit as an abiding presence. Numbers chapter 27, verse 18 says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man of whom is the Spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. The Spirit is also spoken of as person-like power, as in the case of wisdom. Job chapter 32, verse 8 says, But it is the Spirit in a person, the breath 
of the Almighty that gives them understanding. King David found the Spirit as the agent of salvation. In Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The Old Testament portrayed the movement of the Spirit as a mark and gift of the arrival of the end times. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Joel chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. As you can see from these examples, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament means primarily that God is present in action. As we move back to the New Testament for this week's lesson, we want to look at Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit found in John chapter 14. As Jesus prepared to go to the cross, he spent his final evening with his disciples. They had their last meal together, at which Jesus surprisingly washed their feet in John chapter 13. Jesus, during the meal, taught his disciples about his coming death. The primary purpose of this teaching was to comfort them as they came to grips with his soon coming departure from their midst. Though Jesus would no longer be physically present, his disciples would not be left alone. Let's pick up there in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, with uh, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus told the disciples that he was leaving them to return to the Father in heaven. They were stunned and scared. With him gone, what were they going to do? To do? How would they thrive without their master teacher, Jesus? Jesus comforted them with three promises in our passage for this week. First, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 19. The Holy Spirit would be absolutely and completely necessary for the disciples to continue to follow the way of Jesus. In John chapter 13, Jesus had just washed the feet of the 12 disciples, including the feet of Judas, who, he, who Jesus knew was going to betray him. Jesus predicted his betrayal, and Judas left the meeting to finish what he had started. Jesus knew his time was coming to an end. What was Jesus going to say in these last moments with his disciples? What was most important for his disciples to know and to do? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus emphasized a new command for his disciples. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The kind of unconditional love that Jesus had shown his disciples was to be their standard. The only way for them to love as Jesus loves is for the very Spirit of God to live in them and move them to obey this command. As our passage begins in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus states the truth. If you love me, keep my commands. The primary characteristic of those who love Jesus is their obedience to Jesus' commands. Our call to make disciples in the Great Commission even ends with these words and teach them to obey everything I have commanded them. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. While the scriptures and even Jesus himself gave other commandments, the context of this statement in John 14 is clearly connected to his new command to love one another as Jesus has loved them. Because of such love, a believer will be willing to lay down one's life for one's friend, John 15, verse 13. Because of such love, a believer will be willing to serve others as Jesus served them when he washed their feet, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Because of such love, a believer will never allow a fellow believer 
to remain in need. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If Christians truly love Jesus, the love of Jesus will be seen as they love one another. Though believers are called to love each other, they do not do so in their own strength. Jesus asked the Father to send someone to help his followers once he was gone. That someone is the Holy Spirit. The Greek term used for the Spirit is the word paraclete. There is not a direct translation of this word to English, so we see many different terms used, such as advocate, comforter, counselor, helper, or even friend. All of these words describe part of the meaning of the word paraclete. In the end, the best understanding of paraclete, that is the Holy Spirit, is the one who is called alongside as a helper or defender. Notice that Jesus said that the Father will give the disciples another paraclete. The implication is that Jesus was the first paraclete. This other paraclete will be with Jesus, just like Jesus was, will be with the disciples, just like Jesus was, and will be in them in a way that Jesus was not. This other par paraclete will actually live in the believer. As good as it was to have Jesus with them in person, while he was with them, he could only be with one in one place at one time. What comfort to know that this other paraclete would not only be with them, but will live in them. Wherever they go, even if it is in many different directions, each of them would carry this other paraclete inside their hearts. Maybe this is why Jesus was able to say, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. John 14, verse 12. The arrival of this second paraclete would actually be like Jesus' second coming. Listen to the words Jesus said in John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When the other paraclete comes, it will be Jesus coming back to us. When he does come alongside, believers will find him to be all that they need. It won't be temporary, a fleeting moment. The Holy Spirit will come to them forever, verse 16. You might remember that Jesus had just referred to himself in John 14, 6 as the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit would join in that title to be called the Spirit of Truth, John 14, 17. The Spirit, you see, would guide believers into all truth that is found in Christ Jesus. That is not just intellectual truth. Instead, it is truth lived out in life, what we would call obedience. Indeed, the Holy Spirit is to lead Christians and empower Christians into holy living. The good news is that God has saved us not to leave us in our sins, but to sanctify us. His good desire for us is to transform our lives from the inside out so that we can live 
the abundant life God created us to live. Not only did Jesus promise the Holy Spirit, but through this second paraclete, Jesus promised intimacy. Look at John chapter 14, verses 20 to 24. Ever since Adam and Eve uh, lost true intimacy with God and each other due to their sin, all people, whether knowingly or not, have longed for this restored intimacy. People know when this intimacy is not there. They long for it deep inside. They love movies that portray this intimacy. Their heroes are the ones in the movies who fight for it. Here in John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus spoke of the intimacy. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I want to illustrate that, uh, what we have just read, by using a few envelopes. To make it easier to see the illustration, I'm going to go backwards through John chapter 14, verse 20, starting at the end of the verse and moving toward the beginning. At the end, it says, I, Jesus, am, with, am in you. So here's a piece of paper that says Jesus, representing Jesus. And it says that I am in you. And so I have a, a envelope that says Scott. So to illustrate this, I'm gonna take Jesus and put him inside Scott. I, Jesus, am in you. And then it says, and you are in me. So I, Scott, with Jesus inside of me, am now going to be put inside Jesus. And then I, Jesus, it says, am in the Father. And so I'm gonna take the envelope that says Jesus that has Scott inside of it and Jesus inside of Scott, I'm going to put that envelope inside the envelope that says Father. Do you see the intimacy described here? There is the incredible intimacy of the Trinity wrapped up together in one and wrapped up inside. There you are, Jesus in you and you in Jesus and Jesus in the Father. Now think for a moment, if the enemy were to try to come after you, he would have to go through the Father. And if it were possible, and it wouldn't be, that he would be able to get through the Father, then he would come to Jesus first, and he would have to go through Jesus. And if by chance he was able to get through Jesus, which he would not be able to, what he would find is he would find you. But if he were to get to you, what he would find is that inside you, he would only find Jesus. What is most amazing in this teaching of Jesus is that this kind of intimacy between Jesus and his disciples is to be the same kind of intimacy that describes the way believers are to love one another. If you love me, Jesus says again and again, you will keep my commandments. Think this new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. God's love, joy, peace, friendship, companionship, 
forgiveness, strength, assurance, and encouragement all become a part of the Christian community. And I will just say this, when the church loves like that, the lost community notices. The best evangelism from a church to its community happens out of a unified, loving congregation of believers, people that love each other. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, but by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And finally, the third promise of Jesus is his promise teaching. John chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. Jesus is known as the master teacher. He knew his audience and used examples and powerful stories to communicate truths about God, humans, and salvation. He taught the multitudes about the kingdom of God, and he ran circles around the self-exalted teachers of Israel. The disciples benefited by living, eating, and ministering with Jesus every day for three years. Imagine how great it would have been to hear revelation from Jesus himself any day of the week. Well, even better, a greater opportunity is ours today within us through the Holy Spirit. One of the primary roles of the second paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus and the Father would send is that of teacher. The Holy Spirit would come in Jesus' name, verse 26, as the living presence of Jesus in the disciples, verse 17 of John chapter 14. The work of the Spirit would include teaching all things, according to verse 26, and would remind the disciples of everything Jesus had said to them. The Spirit would be their guide in the same way Jesus had been to show them how to respond in any new circumstance in which they found themselves. With the Spirit coming alongside them, the disciples would never forget the foundation of their faith, that's Jesus, and they would always be prepared for what the world might send their way. Notice that the Holy Spirit is not a different paraclete, but instead another paraclete. The Spirit comes to teach and to remind Jesus' disciples of what Jesus said. When believers read the scriptures or the word of God, the Spirit actively reveals to the heart of the believer what Jesus has taught. The Holy Spirit and the word of God will never contradict one another because they come from the same source. When you listen to some so-called scholars today, they suggest that the Spirit is actually teaching different things, even contradictory things sometimes than Jesus taught 2,000 years ago. To do this, these so-called experts have to lay aside the scripture and put their confidence in their own experience or their own reason. This, of course, is a recipe for disaster, as everyone has different experiences, and humanity's reason is infinitely lower than the wisdom of God. So as a matter of warning to the church, if you ever hear someone giving you revelation that is not consistent with the word of God, steer clear of such revelation.
Jesus coming uh, uh, death on the cross and his departure to the Father were according to the Father's will. His departure would ultimately benefit his disciples. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples would receive the abiding presence of Jesus when they received the Holy Spirit. For this reality, they and us should not only live at peace as we wait uh, for Christ's return, but we also can rejoice because we have Christ's spirit for which we can be truly thankful. If you've not experienced the ever-present spirit of God in your life, I want you to know that you can today. There's no magic in it. You can receive the spirit by repenting of your sins, turning away from your sins by the help of God and placing your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Such love and intimacy with God can be yours today if you will only receive him. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.